Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your host is Becky Olson. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends and family by providing resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here is your host, Becky Olson. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Becky Olson. I'm the co-founder of Breast Friends. I'm also a five-time survivor of advanced stage breast cancer, a motivational speaker, and the published author of The Hat That Saved My Life. And before we introduce our guest today, I just want to remind you, you know, right around the corner, we've got a holiday coming up. It's Valentine's Day. And that is a day that is kind of normally reserved for people to tell their romantic partner that they love them and spend time with them. But I'm going to challenge us all in a different way this year. You know, one thing that 2020 showed us is that life is short and sometimes very, very difficult. So don't just reserve it for the romantic interest in your life. I mean, certainly tell that person too. But if you have children, grandchildren, dear friends, parents, anybody that you need to tell them that you love them, please do and use this as a as an excuse to do it. The, the one thing that you so often hear when people are are in that place in their life where it might be too late to say something, the one thing that they wish they had done is tell somebody that they love them. So use this holiday as an excuse, whatever you need to do, but use this as a time to say I love you to the person in your life, to the people in your life that matter to you. And I mean all of them. So with that, I have someone who matters to me. She's been a guest on my show so many times, and I love having her on. She's just an easy conversation for me, and we are. I actually invited her on to do a two-part series with me, and today is part one of the series, and it's the series is called How to Make Food... Fear, oh, boy, I'm going to get tongue-tied here. How to Make Fearless Food Decisions, Conquer Cravings, and eat foods you love without stress and guilt. That's a mouthful, but that's what we're going to talk about. And Kathy Lehman has been a guest, as I said, many times on my show. She's a dietitian, a nutrition therapist, and a certified personal trainer. And at the end of the show, we're going to tell you how to reach out to her and how to learn more about what she does. So um, with that, welcome, Kathy. Thanks for joining me again. Thank you, (laughs) Becky. And you are someone that means a lot to me as well so thank oh, you for that thank it's you yeah well, I love you then I'll just start it right now I love you <laughs> I love you too I love you back <laughs> that awesome <laughs> you can say what my husband and I say to each other he says I love you and I say I love you more and he says no you don't so uh, you know that could go on forever but it could and it, it really there's there's no loser in that battle is there <laughs> that's right unless it's a day I'm annoyed with him and then I just let him win <laughs> oh, yeah perfect I love it <laughs> Well, I I am really excited about this conversation. I know we talk on this show a lot about food and diet and, you know, and it's, there's a couple of reasons. One, you know, we are reaching a lot of of women and men who have had cancer or who are helping someone through their cancer battle. And, you know, there's just a lot of interest in this topic because first off, there are foods that we hear um, can lead to an increased risk of cancer. And also, you know, we talk a lot about how certain foods can, you know, you can increase weight on them. And, you know, when you hear about some of the risk factors for, for let's say, breast cancer, one of them is obesity. And so if you're in the process of gaining weight through the foods that you're eating, 
then maybe you might want to look at that and see if there's anything you can do to reduce your risk. And so today we're going to get really specific and we're going to talk about fearless foods. Um, But let's talk about, Kathy, if you don't mind, what is the connection between food fears and breast cancer? Can you speak to that? Yes, I would love to. So just as a little bit of a background, the work that I do with women um, or that I've done through my entire career as a dietitian and nutrition therapist pre-cancer was in the space of eating disorders, disordered eating, weight management, using nutrition and exercise and healthy lifestyle behaviors to reduce risk of disease or manage disease. Um, We don't have 100% prevention in any case, but we do have preventive behaviors. And so that was where I worked for about 17 years before my own breast cancer diagnosis. And after that, uh, which was, I was diagnosed with hormonally driven breast cancer. And what I have learned in the years since then, where I've tried to regain my professional equilibrium and see where I can best um, share my my work and, and the gifts that I have for people through my work is working with this community in the breast cancer, um, especially hormonally driven. And I have found that there is so much fear around food. And to your point, you mentioned at the at the beginning of this conversation that, you know, we we hear, quote unquote, hear about certain foods that may be helpful. We hear about foods that could be detrimental, that could drive up our risk of recurrence or drive the cancer forward, quote unquote, making it worse, if, you know, for people living with metastatic. So there's a that I feel like is is where all of this food fear and breast cancer is grounded in is that space of um so anyway so that's the work that I do and that's why when you and I chat so much about this there's so much to explore in this topic because I think the first thing that women who are diagnosed with breast cancer tend to go to is okay I've heard that diet can help in some fashion it can help me manage this cancer or feel better or whatever it is and I'll go with I'll go look at my diet but there's so much beneath the food. It's not always about the food. It's the behaviors that drive the foods that we choose. It's the behaviors that drive us to overeat or undereat. And that's the space that I love working in. And so that's why this is so important for the breast cancer community, because in my experience, they tend to just think it's the food is the, is the issue, whether it's weight gain or they're eating you know something that's not as healthy for them. They go, oh, I'm just choosing the wrong food. But looking deeper the fears and the emotions and the thoughts and the feelings that drive the behaviors is really what in turn um, transpires into food. Does that make sense? Yeah, it it does. Um, It's that's going a different direction than I thought. So that this is very exciting. Um, You know, because I don't really always come for me, it always comes down to what is the actual food that I'm eating that is causing the harm. And yes, and that's what I'm hearing that it's really not necessarily that it could be the other things going on in our minds that are um you know that that put us in a kind of a negative space and then that negative space has has consequences and you know did i interpret that correctly yeah 100% good so that to me thank you for that feedback cuz it helps me feel like i i explained it fairly cohesively and comprehensively well, yeah more, um, be- more yeah. better <laughs> more i don't know like that. But so your <laughs> the question about that connection between food fears and breast cancer is as i said as survivors you know and survivor that the official definition is anyone who's diagnosed with cancer so at the moment of diagnosis you're termed a 
a survivor. And you and I have kind of chatted about this. I have a love-hate relationship with that word, but everyone understands it. So let's let's actually talk about that for a minute because that comes up a lot even now. I mean, I know we've talked about it before, but but the the term, you know, I don't know when I'm a survivor. Is it when I'm done with treatment? Is it when I get the all clear that the cancer is gone? You know, I have a very strong feeling about that word survivor. And that is, if you survive the day that you are told you have cancer, you are a survivor. Because right. that's, that's hard word. You know, that's a hard thing to hear that you have cancer. And it's a very difficult place. It puts you in a really painful place in your life. And but if you survive that, and you probably will, um, that makes you a survivor from that moment of diagnosis, because right. you just heard probably the worst thing you're going to hear in your life for, you know, at least one of them. And yeah. um, so and I don't know if you agree with that statement or not, but I think it's really true. And, and then from there, we just do the best we can do. But I think that that is um, that that's defines a, a survivor to me. Yeah, for sure. And I was so curious about it. I actually looked it up online and I want to say it's the National Cancer Institute. I may be, that may not be the organization, but I I feel like it is who actually gives a definition of survivor because it's a conversation I see in the breast cancer community often is, well, when am I a survivor? But, you know, I like to look at it as, you know, you're, there's that continuum of breast cancer. You're initially diagnosed, newly diagnosed, then you're in active treatment, then you are in post-treatment as a survivor, and that is whether you are um, living with metastatic or not. You know, metastatic, as you know, (laughs) that you're surviving. And so how, you know, my work and my purpose and my focus is always how do we not just survive but thrive, um, you know, with healthy lifestyle behaviors and, and how do we use food, diet, nutrition, exercise, stress management, sleep, all of those lifestyle behaviors that even if you don't have cancer um, are so critical. And that, and I feel they're even more so after you've finished treatment for cancer. And so, you know, moving on into the rest of your life. So yeah, for sure. I, I, I agree with you 100%. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, so having set that up, <laughs> yeah. um, I can give you a little more about that initial question about the connection between food fears and yes. breast cancer. And it's yes. really... As survivors, I would say that our number one concern is reducing the risk of recurrence. Mm -hmm. And for those living with metastatic breast cancer, it's not driving the cancer forward or, quote unquote, making it worse. And so we know that lifestyle behaviors positively impact both of those areas. But unfortunately, there's a lot of confusion and a lot of misinformation around how to best use those behaviors. And when we're unclear or uncertain, or uninformed about something, we tend to be more fearful. And knowing that what we eat can make a difference is can be empowering. But the other side of that is not being clear on whether it's a positive or negative difference is one of the things that drives the fear. And so essentially, it's a fear of, quote unquote, doing the wrong thing for our survivor health. And there's a, there's a quote that I, I use often when I'm describing this. It's a quote by Eckhart Tolle. He's a spiritual teacher and, and um, author. Maybe you're familiar with him. And I, the I've quote is, the whatever you fight, you strengthen, and what you resist persists. And mm-hmm. so when we get into this place of fear with food, it just drives all sorts of other unhealthy behaviors and thoughts that don't help us thrive. 
Okay. And I, I think we're probably going to get into the, the, the fearful side of this in the next segment. Mm-hmm. Let's talk for a minute um, or five, <laughs> whatever, um, about fearless food decisions. Um, that's something that I have written down here. What is a fearless, fearless food decision? What does that mean? I, I've, I've never actually heard that phrase before. Ah, and okay, this, perfect. This, and this is like foreign test. to me. So. Okay, well, let's test out my definition and description and see if it clicks and connects for you like, like okay. the first one. So far, okay. I'm one for one. Let's see if I yes. can get it. <laughs> okay, so, um, so fearless food decisions is making food choices with confidence, knowing you're doing the best you can. Mm-hmm. And that's it at its, at its core. But I would add to that, it's eliminating that judgment that we carry around food choices, particularly post-treatment. And I would say even when we're in treatment, again, it's anywhere along that continuum, but my work tends to focus on women after treatment, you helping them, you know, from surviving, moving from just surviving to thriving. And so in that space, you're looking at, okay, I put all that, I got all that stuff behind me. Now, how do I move forward to take the best care of myself? And so you start to judge what you're eating as good or bad or black or white. And um, so, so in essence, it's, it's making choices with confidence, knowing you're doing the best you can and eliminating judgment around the choices. So how do we, well, I think we're going to actually get to that in section three, about guilt because sometimes <laughs> some like last night we watched a great movie you know you can't go to the movie theaters now so you can rent for a lot of money you can rent a movie on on your tv set and we watched a really great film here's a plug for tom hanks he, he made a movie called news of the world oh my gosh it's so good i did not want it to end so mm. watch that but while we were watching the movie um I got out <laughs> for my son, I'll blame it on him, a bag of Tootsie Rolls because I love Tootsie Rolls and I still had some left from Christmas. And um, so we got that out and, you know, nibbled on that a little bit. And the whole, every piece I had, I had a little guilt going on there. And I know that that was probably not the right thing to do, but I'm used to going to a movie theater and having popcorn or some kind of snack, you know, while we're, it's kind of what you do when you go to the movie theaters, you, you have a a snack, you go to the concession stand and you buy things like that. But usually because you have to go there and get it and, you know, there's not that much guilt around it. This one, I went to my cupboard and got it out of my cupboard and I had guilt around that. Is that normal? (laughs) Is that something I should have done to myself? (laughs) Okay, I love that how you set that up. So let the next let me share this. So what drives fearful food decisions is lack of knowledge, second guessing, catastrophizing, unrealistic unrealistic expectations, or all or nothing thinking. And I would suggest that when you were experiencing that guilt around the Tootsie Rolls, you were second guessing your behavior. As in, okay, I love Tootsie Rolls and I love to eat them, particularly when I'm watching a movie with Tom Hanks and my son (laughs) and my family. It makes me feel good and cozy and cared for and all those things. But I also know they're all fake food. They're full of sugar. They're not healthy. They can make me gain weight and they're probably not good for my cancer. 
Would that be kind of what was going on? Only it wasn't that obvious. Yeah, to you? <laughs> per, no, it was a, it was real obvious to me, but I oh, did it anyway. That so. thinking, though, that exact yeah. thinking. Yes, yes, really? that exact. Yeah, I was thinking this is so not good for me, but it's a movie. This is what I do. This is what I do when I watch a movie. I have some kind of a treat, and I treat myself. So, um, you know, I think there's going to be room for more of this conversation on the other side of the break. So let's go ahead and take a take our first break and. We will be back in just a couple of quick minutes, and we'll we'll kind of pick this up, but we'll go through it quickly because we got other stuff to talk about. Sure. <laughs> Maybe I don't want to focus too much on this. Anyway, all right, Kathy, so stay tuned. We'll be back in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. Female cancers affect women, but women's effects are felt throughout our families, workplaces, and communities. Electa is driving advances in precision radiation medicine across our portfolio of devices. By enabling treatment that is highly responsive to changes in tumor shape, position, and biology, but doesn't compromise the health of surrounding tissue and the patient, we protect the moments that matter in the lives of women with female cancers and everyone they touch. Learn more at electa.com. That's E-L-E-K-T-A dot com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Tune into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. Um, just as a quick reminder, I do this every time because we always want to let people know how to find out about us. Um, there are four ways to get involved in our show. One is to share the link to our program with a friend. If you have somebody you know would benefit from hearing this, send them the link so they can listen to it too. Um, you can donate to the program and help us keep the show going. And you can text um, BF Radio, that's Breast Friends Radio. BF Radio to 41444. That opens a text box, and then you can make a donation online. You can join our um, Facebook group, which is called Breast Friends Around the Globe. And when once you've joined, you can um, you know read what other people are saying. Let us know who you are and where you're calling or where you're checking in from so we can l- learn a little bit about you. And then you can also nominate yourself as a guest to be on my show. You can email me at becky at breastfriends.org. And um, just let me know who you are, what you'd like to talk about, and then let's set a time to talk, and we'll 
figure out if it's a good fit for the program. So with that, welcome back, Kathy. Again, I'm so glad you're here. So so we were talking about, yes, I knew exactly what I was doing, and I did it anyway, and I had guilt around it. Should I have guilt around it? Well, I'm going to I'm going to put that question to the side for a moment, Miss okay. Becky. And I'm okay. going to I'm going to talk about how this is a perfect example of how it's not about the food. And I'll explain why that is. Okay. You mentioned a couple of things when you were explaining wh- what happens when you go to the movie theater and now eating at your you know watching movies at your home. You said when you go to the movie theater, it's what you do. You, you go to the concession stand, you get a treat, you get popcorn or what, or Tootsie Rolls or whatever it may be. That's marketing because that's where they make a lot of money at that movie theater yes, is that at is that true. concession stand. Popcorn that is dirt is, cheap, yeah. but <laughs> they will charge you a, a significant amount of money and enormous containers that they will gladly refill for free to you because, you know, there's a certain size you can buy and they try to supersize it for you because it's less money to get more. And so that's all marketing. And you it's a it's a chain of events that triggers a behavior that leads to the feeling of I shouldn't be doing this. And the chain of events can be broken. It's just like, you know, what's the weakest link in the chain? If you break the link in a chain, you no longer have a chain. And so going to the movie, it's almost like Pavlov's dog. You pull up at the parking lot at the movie theater, you start thinking, what am I going to get at the concession stand? Oh, I'm going to start barking the next time I go. Right? To the- <laughs> I know. And me as a nutrition therapist, I would suggest it's not that the concession trip nor what you purchase at the concession trip is good or bad. It's your awareness of it and how you feel about it. If you want to treat when you go to the movie, for whatever reason, you don't even have to justify it, have the treat and be done with it. But there's no reason to have a treat at a movie theater other than it's part of your routine, it's part of your ritual, it's part of what you quote unquote do when you go to the movie theater. So my, you know, it's just being aware of that, doing it knowingly and not judging the behavior or the food that you're eating. You know, oh, I'm I was, so glad to hear that. <laughs> right. And that's up to you. I mean, that is an individual choice to take that position is just say, yeah, I'm having tootsie rolls. This is what I do when I watch a movie. However, if you feel like that's a space where you're like, well, I'm not even hungry when I go to the movie. We just had dinner and it's just a habit. And I end up overeating. I eat it. They don't sell little boxes of tootsie rolls. They sell enormous boxes of tootsie rolls. And you tend to eat the whole thing because you're watching the movie and eating at the same time. Mindlessly, on yeah. what you're eating. Yeah. yeah, so it's empty, and you're like, oh, wow, that's a now, lot. Now, that was the advantage of doing this from home because, you know, I, I can actually pour a certain amount of Tootsie Rolls into a bowl and right. control the amount that we eat, and I actually believe that I ate less Tootsie Rolls than I would if I buy a box at the movie theater because, exactly. you know, yeah. it was I controlled the amount, and so there was there was that. I felt actually really good about that, so... Um, but I do love Tootsie Rolls, I got to say. <laughs> yeah. But does that make sense how it's yeah. not the Tootsie Roll? It's how you, Tootsie Rolls are neutral. It's what you make the Tootsie Rolls mean. Yeah. And that's what drives the fear. We're afraid of Tootsie Rolls. Tootsie Rolls are not fearful. <laughs> They're pretty inert substances. You know, there's nothing scary about them. But we yeah. make them scary <laughs> and we make ourselves feel guilty about them. And, you know, that's that second-guessing ourselves, it's catas- that's that catastrophizing, oh, if I eat these, I'm going to get fat, I'm going to 
um, and I say that to be dramatic, I'm going to get fat. My cancer is going to come back. So my cancer worse. There's sugar and cancer loves sugar. And you just have this running tape in your head. And, you know, is there some truth to those things that you're thinking? Well, there is some truth, but it's not that extreme. So you've got to put it in context with, and what are you trying to achieve? If you're trying to achieve weight loss or eating as well as you can, then you've got to look at how Tootsie Rolls and or popcorn at the movie theater fit into that. And they can, it doesn't have to be all or nothing, they can, but it's really about stepping back and saying, what's the awareness? What's the behavior? What's my thought about that? And then going from there, because that's where the fear comes from. That is so true. That is, that is really true. And, you know, the one thing about, you know, eating snacks at the movie theater, you can always share them, you know. Right, that's um, true. You don't have to eat the whole doggone thing yourself. So, you know, um, one thing my husband and I stopped doing is we don't buy the extra large one be- that comes with the free re- refill because we know we don't need that much. <laughs> you right. Know? So well, we you buy know, the next size down. You could bring your own Tootsie Rolls. You could pack up a little package of them from home with, I don't know, 10, 15, I don't know how many you need. It's different for everyone. There's no quote unquote right amount of Tootsie Rolls. You just pack them in a little baggie, bring them in your purse, and then you save money and calories and all the Shh, other stuff. Don't tell anybody though. <laughs> I would not. I wouldn't. It's a good trick. <laughs> but you can right. do that. Yeah. We can. Okay. Yeah. So what drives fearful food decisions? Um, I mean, I guess that's a little bit fearful. The first question was, what is a fearless food decision? And I don't, I think we finished that one, didn't we? we? Yeah, we talked about confidence. Yeah. Okay. And so what drives fearful food decision? Why do you think we make them? Right. So that comes back to those five um, bullet points I just quickly ran through. So lack of knowledge, we tend to be fearful about things that we don't understand. That is or true. We don't, or we don't know, right? Mm-hmm. Um, second guessing. And that's because that's where the confidence comes in. If you're not confident in what you're doing, and it, it, that might sound kind of kooky, like, well, why do I need confidence to feed myself? I've been feeding myself for my entire life. So why would I need confidence? But after cancer, it's a yeah, different, it changes. You know, it changes, it changes yeah. everything. And so, yes, you second guess. I, I position it as in this way, as saying, you know, you thought you knew what was healthy to eat and how to take care of yourself. And then you got cancer. So now you're second guessing. You're like, well, I thought I knew, but clearly that was not right. And that's not true either. I mean, the, you know, it's, again, not that black or white, but that's what leads to second guessing is you say, well, I thought I knew what I had to do. But now with my cancer being behind me, I don't now I'm not really sure. You know, and that, that does come up a lot, Kathy, when I, I've met so many women um, who say things to me like, you know, I don't understand. I don't know why I even got cancer. I mean, I eat healthy. I exercise. I do what I think are the right things to do. And, you know, I take care of myself. I do all that. And then, boom, you know, I go to get my annual mammogram and and I've got a, a tumor, you know, why, you know, why, why does it happen when you're taking care of yourself? And then there's all those things that you start to second guess and wonder, well, maybe it was that soy bar that I ate, or maybe it was, you know, an apple that had a bad spot in it or something, or it was the Coca-Cola. I know I've talked about that on the show before. A lady that drank a lot of Coca-Cola, she blamed her cancer on on her coat, you know, the Coca-Cola that she drank. And maybe, maybe not. I mean, it's, there, there's no proof of that. So, you know, it's, 
that is a confusing thing, you know, when you do when you think you're doing everything right and then you get cancer anyway. You yes. know, um, so what is what is that about? How do we process that? Mm-hmm. Agreed. One hundred percent. Yeah. So it just makes us, again, less confident. Um, so, the, OK, so the third point of what drives fearful deci- food decisions is catastrophizing and catastrophizing can align with all or nothing thinking. Um, you know, all or nothing thinking is black or white, yes or no, good or bad, evil or not. And catastrophizing is saying, okay, I drank Coke, so it's going to make me get cancer, and I'm going to die, and I'm going to have no money for my treatment, and my family will be devastated. I mean, that's catastrophizing. It is taking a little bit of fact and blowing it way, 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 way beyond what's um, reasonable or even factual. And so we tend to do that with food that drives fearful food seeking. If I eat this one serving of French fries from the drive-thru, it's going to make my cancer come back. And that's, again, so it kind of aligns with all or nothing thinking. Um, And then finally, having unrealistic expectations. And where that comes in is, if you have read something about nutrition and diet and food and how those things can benefit you in terms of helping reduce risk or, again, help you thrive even living with metastatic breast cancer, mm. you may have very unrealistic expectations about what food can do for you. If I drink green smoothies and only eat organic and never touch sugar and drink lots of green tea my unrealistic, quote unquote, expectation is my cancer will not come back. And so you place all of your hopes into these foods, what they can do for you. But it also makes you fearful because if you feel like you miss one of those, oh, it was a day I didn't drink my green tea, the cancer is going to come back tomorrow. So it's that unrealistic expectation that we place on what food can do for us. And that makes mm. us fearful if we drop one of, the, one of the balls that we keep in the air in terms of our, our diet. You know, I never really thought about it that way, but, you know, that makes sense. I mean, we, we, everybody wants a reason, you know, um, why, why, you know, yeah. why did I get cancer and what did, what did I do wrong? And there's always an assumption that, that we did something wrong and that we caused our own cancer. And, you know, we may have, we may not have, you know, um, in, in my case, I probably could have made some better choices. But I also have two gene mutations that I inherited from my dad's side of the family. And those two gene mutations stop my body from fighting cancer the way someone without the gene mutation would do. So that may have played a role, you know, too. And I there's really not nothing I can do about that. You know? That's exactly right. And you know, Becky, the one type of cancer that in my research and, and you know, research is ongoing, but what I've pulled from the research is the only one cancer that is connectly directly connected to a specific lifestyle behavior is lung cancer and smoking mm, right. even though you we all know you can get lung cancer without ever having smoked in your life mm-hmm. so it is disingenuous and does ourselves no favors to try to blame ourselves for one or two or 10 behaviors that we've done in our lifestyle in our lifetime that may or may not have caused the cancer because you just don't know. And food and beverages are not that specific. You cannot, we don't have the science. I mean, we've got to go back to the science, evidence-based 
science does not say if you eat this and do that, you will get cancer. So because it's how much of, let's say Dr. Pepper, I don't even know if they still make that, but let's say you drink Dr. Pepper your entire life or Coke, like you said, the woman was sharing with you. Well, how much Coke or Dr. Pepper do you need to drink and how often and at what age do you need to start drinking Dr. Pepper for it to start to impact your breast development and the development of cancer? These are the things women don't think about. They just want to, you want, like you said, to blame something or find a reason. And food and drink and smoking and alcohol and all those things are easy to blame. So it's easy to say, oh, it's that. I mean, I've seen women say, I grew up in Wisconsin and ate dairy and cheese my entire entire life. And I read that dairy makes breast cancer happen and so I'm sure that's what caused it you're not sure Mm. because you don't know that's not been proven you have no evidence of that so women beat themselves up for this incorrectly and inappropriately and unfairly I mean we you know I mean and I and I like to throw in my own experience I ran the Chicago half marathon seven weeks before my diagnosis I ate a vegan diet my weight was perfect Healthy, I am a walking paragon of health, quote unquote, if you, on the surface, right? I mean, that's how people would look at me. And people, in fact, said, all right, if Kathy Lehman got breast cancer, we're all doomed. I mean, that's really kind of what people were saying. And that's an unfair assessment because if you pull back the layers of that and look at my pathology, I had microcalcifications at my first mammogram. I had dense breast tissue. I had... Um, estrogen dominance. So those three, I don't have children. That's a risk factor. So those three things that I have no control over, breast tissue density, estrogen dominance, and microcalcifications, there's nothing in the world I could do to change those things. Okay, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you, and if you don't want to answer it, you don't have to, but um, how did you feel when you heard the words, knowing how much you've taken care of yourself, and you heard the words that you have cancer, how did you initially feel, like right out of the chute? Furious. Yeah, I bet. Absolutely infuriatingly livid. Just at the situation. Sure. And the irony and disbelief. Fury and disbelief. And I don't know if you've read my blog, Damn Mad About Breast Cancer. Yeah. That's the reason my blog is called that is because I finally realized I had to do something with that fury because it was becoming corrosive, that anger. And that is not helpful. So that's why I, that's why I named my blog Damn Mad About Breast Cancer and started blogging about it. Well, I just, you know, I, I just can't imagine being that healthy in your life. You just ran a half marathon yeah. and then you get cancer. I mean, how... How frustrating. Well, we are going to go out to break. When we come back, we're going to talk about, um, you know, how can we make confident food decisions? What what can we do to, to just kind of, you know, improve our situation and not live day to day in fear of, of something coming back? And are there things that we can do to reduce our risk um, that make sense? that, you know, may or may not work, but, you know, at least it's it's an improvement in something. I'm not sure where we're going to go from here, but but let's explore that possibility when we come back from break. So stay tuned. We'll be back in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. 
please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. Female cancers affect women, but women's effects are felt throughout our families, workplaces, and communities. Electa is driving advances in precision radiation medicine across our portfolio of devices. By enabling treatment that is highly responsive to changes in tumor shape, position, and biology, but doesn't compromise the health of surrounding tissue and the patient, we protect the moments that matter in the lives of women with female cancers and everyone they touch. Learn more at electa.com. That's E-L-E-K-T-A dot com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. Um, Our guest is Kathy Lehman, and we are talking about how to make good food decisions that will hopefully give us a better, stronger outcome when we're battling breast cancer, when we've dealt with breast cancer. There's just so many. This is such a heavy, heavy topic. So I encourage you to go back and listen to all the episodes with Kathy because she has had, she's got so much to say and we have a different spin on these things. And I'm really delighted that she choose, you know, chose to do this again. And this is the first part of a two part series. So um, stay tuned with that for next week. So anyway, um, so let's let kind of pick up where we left off. And how do we learn, Kathy, to eat without fear? How do we let go of anything that's causing fear, whether it's over our choice, the amount, whatever? How do we let go of that so we can live our life in peace and confidence and make better decisions going forward? Sure. Is that a reasonable question? <laughs> it's a great question. It's okay. a great question. Um and I, quickly before I answer that, I would how we were chatting before the break about my experience with my diagnosis. I will say that even um, though I was crazy furious about the fact that I had cancer, you know, looking back and as I was going through it, I recognized that the fact that I was in such good condition and ate well, that helped me psychologically feel like okay. Um, this is empowering to me because that, and I'm not saying that, you know, women who didn't should have a different outcome. I am not suggesting that. And there are plenty of women who eat well and are fit and are diagnosed like I was and have different outcomes. So I am not comparing mine to anyone. For me personally, that was something that I could really feel grounded in, in terms of giving me strength because I knew how to care for myself and that Mm -hmm. because I had been doing it before. 
And I like to think it helped me get through from a place of um, just resilience and good pathology. And so I like to, that's my place where it, it helps me. Good. But then on the professional side, I also know that there is science behind that. And that's why I think this is such an important conversation is because, you know, we learn to eat without fear around our cancer by accepting and acknowledging there's no magic bullet. So how I mentioned I eat a vegan diet, um, you know, and, and when I was diagnosed, I did as well. You know, I know that food is not bulletproof. You know, your diet, whatever you choose to eat, no matter how quote unquote perfect you try to make it, is it's not bulletproof against any disease, not just cancer, but anything. So once we recognize that we can eat all the right things and recurrence or disease advancement can still occur, that's almost like recognizing the role that diet and nutrition and food can play from a place of, um, of uh, let's say, intellect. Intellectually, you understand that, and it helps reduce the fear, which is more emotionally driven. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Okay. Um, also, understanding that food and diet and nutrition definitely play a role in survivor health is important, but we, we need to learn what that is for the individual so that someone can have realistic expectations for themselves around food and nutrition and diet. Meaning what, what my questions and, and, and interest is around nutrition may be different from yours, Becky. So Mm -hmm. getting the knowledge, that's the third piece is getting the knowledge to um, get those evidence-based science driven answers to your specific food, diet, nutrition questions, and then learning how to apply that information to your daily life. That's really helpful because, again, we said fear comes from not having knowledge or being uncertain or unclear. Once you get knowledge and you have understanding, that's where that confidence comes from and the fear tends to start to slip away, or at least we can put it in perspective. And then addressing the underlying issues that drive the fear, because sometimes, (laughs) sometimes we stay in fear in order to avoid reality or as a way to busy ourselves with something to keep our mind off the real issues or as a way of coping. You may think fear is not a coping mechanism, but it can be. You can put a lot of energy into managing your fear. Like, oh my gosh, this scares me. I shouldn't eat that food. Let me let me ex- um, explore all the other options to that food. And what did this person say about that food? And what does this person say about that diet? You can spend a lot of time in your head focusing on something that is not your cancer or your current circumstance. Mm-hmm. And so the fear almost serves as um, a crutch or coping or helpful mechanism, if that makes sense at all. It does. I, I'm, I'm just, I'm struggling just a little bit because, um, you know, when I, I, hmm, I don't know how to say this. Um, I'm struggling a little bit because I, I know me, you know, well enough. And if I don't see results that I'm expecting. You know, it's easy to, I, I guess it's not so much fear as it is disappointment, maybe. And when I, like when I asked you that question about how did you feel when you had taken such good care of yourself, you had done all those right things and then you still got cancer anyway. There's a piece of me that says, and and I'm sure all cancer survivors have at least some little degree of this that hits them is like, why bother? 
and I'm I know that sounds terrible, but but there are reasons to bother. <laughs> but it's it's hard when you're feeling, you know, like I don't know. I don't know how to explain that. Does do you know where I'm coming from with that question? I do. I okay. do. So if you if if you're okay out with me taking yes. it from there out. Please. So the last time you and I did a program, we talked about the FU diet. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Yes. And the FU diet is where you say what you just said. Why bother? It doesn't matter. I was taking what I thought was good care of myself, or so and so, Kathy Lehman, took good care of herself and look what happened to her. So it it, it makes no difference. And that's a valid thought. I mean, there's no judgment about that. It's you, you think what you think. I mean, there's, you know, okay. Yet at the end of the day, and this is what I shared when we were talking about the FU diet, is there are, um, there is evidence-based research and science around nutrition and diet and food in support of how it can improve outcomes from breast cancer treatment. It can support our health going forward after we finish treatment. And so to just poo-poo it and dismiss it as not beneficial or not helpful is one of those black and white thinking uh, paths that can be detrimental because I I always like to remind women, take the cancer piece out of it. Mm -hmm. And let's, if you're eating for heart health or um, uh, blood pressure, you know, keep your blood pressure healthy or blood sugar. If you would, if you have diabetes, would you say, well, it doesn't matter what I eat anyway. I still got diabetes. When diet and lifestyle, particularly that's a good point. That's a good point. Things, yeah, that help you manage diabetes. You wouldn't just dismiss it. And so, for cancer, you know, yes, I did quote unquote all the right things, but cancer takes years to develop, right? So, you know, my lifestyle in my twenties was not the same as when it was in my forties or fifties. You know, the environment that I live in. I live in the you know suburbs of Chicago. It's a very highly dense populated area, urban area, there's, you know, more pollution, there are more environmental factors at play. So that's something to consider. Um, And then I just shared with you the three physiological conditions that I have no control over that I am fairly confident drove this breast cancer for me. I don't have proof of that. But you know, there certainly are risk factors, I can find it in the research and show how that's true. But on the flip side of that, the behaviors that I did engage in at the time of my diagnosis, eating well, exercising, being fit, just taking as good care of myself as I could, not out of fear, but also because it just makes me feel good. It's mm-hmm. my personal philosophy and has been forever that, you know, taking the best care of myself is the best gift I can give myself. Yeah, and, and so, that's that's true. And and I right? what I what I kind of hear in that message there too is that if you hadn't taken care of yourself you know, and you hadn't done the right things and you hadn't, you know, paid attention, how much worse might it have been? Right. You know? I mean, and yeah, that's so, a great point because we don't know that. I mean, my pathology was very favorable. Does that mean it won't recur? No, it doesn't. But does it mean that, and does it mean that because of what I did and behaviors, you know, made my pathology be so favorable? I like to think that it had an impact. And again, because I'm a nutrition science, that's how we're trained. I know there's impact there. But I always, you know, cushion that by saying other women, you know, there are athletes, there are high level athletes, gold Olympic level athletes who've been diagnosed with breast cancer. Explain that. So it's a bigger issue. It's not just one food, one behavior, the last two years of your life. 
you know, people say, oh, I eat so perfectly. I always eat organic. And I say, do you travel? Oh, yes, we love to travel. Do you eat at restaurants when you travel? Oh, yes, all the time. Are they giving you organic food that you know it's in it? <laughs> Probably no, not. <laughs> no. And then they look at me like, oh, never oh. thought of that. So yeah. it's, it's that all or nothing thinking I was good or bad. I did the right or wrong things that drives this fear. And because food is something we can, quote, unquote, control, it, it manifests itself as an area of fear. And so that drives the behaviors with food that are so unhealthy that we chatted about previously, the emotional eating and such. So is that, is that, is that clear? Yeah, Did that clear it, up your question? That was kind of a long answer to your question of, of not. Well, it was a really your, out of left field question for you no, too. Um, great question. No, great. But I, I just, I just think that there's, there probably are other people that are having that same, the same thoughts. And, and then, so here's my, here's, my next question, and I guess what I'm going to ask you is, what do we do about it? I mean, yeah. what what if we've now that we've been diagnosed with cancer, and let's say we have always tried to do the right things, eat the right things, or we've made a decision that we're going to start doing that better? Can you give us a a little tip on what we can do better next time around? So maybe we don't get it, or maybe we don't get it as bad, or you know, maybe I don't know. But is there something that we can do. I mean, I, I want my listeners to be able to listen today and then go, hmm, I'm going to make that one change. What's the, what's the, what is one change that we can do that is pretty simple, simple, I don't want to call it a fix because there is no simple fix, but if we had to pick one thing to do right um, or better, what is one thing that we can do right or better than we're yeah. doing now? Yeah. So, um, so I think you're, the question you're asking is, how can we make confident food decisions that mm-hmm. help, us, help us do something better? Yes. Um, so all of those things I just mentioned, you know, acknowledging and accepting there's no magic bullet and understanding how lifestyle behaviors, particularly food and exercise, play a role in your survivor health and then learning more about that so you can apply it to your individual situation um, helps you start to get a handle on just recipes that you choose to prepare, restaurants that you choose to patronize, food that you order when you go to a restaurant. It helps you make, you can make more confident food decisions when you have all of that information because it helps you put this fearless eating into practice. And when you start practicing those things, it builds trust and it builds confidence in your ability to nourish yourself well. So we've got to keep it simple. And recognize that you make progress when you begin to stop second-guessing everything you're putting in your mouth and on your plate. So the number one thing that I would suggest, it's hard to narrow it down to just one thing, <laughs> but I would say the very first thing you can do is be inspired or get inspired to start to look at your behaviors. Are you eating from a place of fear? Are you second-guessing what you're doing? Are you feeling guilt and anxiety around the choices that you're making? Are you confused about food? Does it does it just become such a big to-do to say, oh, you know, I'm going to eat breakfast, but I don't know what I should eat, so I'm not going to eat anything. And then you're starving by noon, and you say, now I'm eating everything, <laughs> and now I feel guilty. So being inspired, yep. right? So being yep. inspired, first of all, to, the, to, to take a look at your behaviors. That would be the first thing is that because awareness is huge. You may not even... 
like you, Becky, you're like, I, can, I can't I can see you, but I can hear the light bulbs going off over your head. You're like, oh, that's interesting. I never thought about that. So if your listeners are thinking about this in a way that they've never thought of it before, they might be thinking, huh, oh, this is kind of an aha moment. So increase the awareness. And then number two, just I like to remind people, keep it simple. I always say when you're eating for your boobs, you're eating for your entire health <laughs> of your body. Because seriously. Eating for your boobs, I never thought of it that way. <laughs> that's, that's what good. we're doing. Women tend to focus on eating or not eating for their boobs. And I remind them they don't exist in a vacuum. They are attached to you through blood <laughs> flow and cellular exchange, all sorts of things. So following a, a, a breast health diet helps your heart health. It helps your blood sugar. It helps inflammation. It helps all cognition. And that's moving you from just surviving to thriving. That's my well, goal. And yeah, well, right? when, you eat, when you eat that way so that you can feel, you know, you can improve those other si- systems in our body, I know that I feel better. I just, yes. my body yes. functions better. I feel yes. better. And when I'm feeling better, I... I want to make better choices. Thank um, you. you Hallelujah. Know. <laughs> Amen. This is Nutrition Church. That's what that was right there. <laughs> well, we, we are out of time, Kathy. I think we got right to the point right yeah. when we needed to. And um, Kathy, has, again, she'll be my guest again next week. And she does have a great website. It's kathylehman.com, C-A-T-H-Y-L-E-M-A-N.com. You can also follow her on Instagram at hormone.breastcancer.dietitian and you'll get some information there. They can also learn about your um, different programs that you have and we'll talk more about those next week. So, um, But tune in then and listen find out more about her. Um, we will be back next week and until then remember there is always hope and we are here to help you find it. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Please join Becky Olson again next Wednesday at 12 o'clock noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There's always hope, and we are here to help you find it. We'll talk again next time.